Welcome to the Hawkeye Psychic Podcast. And you're very welcome back to the Hawkeye Psychic Rugby Union Podcast with your host Mark Kennedy. I'm joined again this week by Liam O'Brien. Liam, how are things? They're good, Mark. Yeah, we have a good good weekend's rugby anyway, that's for sure. Absolutely. So this episode, plenty to cover tonight. First, we'll have a review of Tom Park, Munster versus Ulster. We'll also look at Leinster and Connacht Rugby, uh, two wins for the Irish provinces in Wales, but probably in different fashions. URC Reflections were seven rounds in at this stage. Who's impressed, who hasn't? And then we'll look at the November Test Match Series as well. South Africa have named their side to face Ireland in the Viva. We'll run the rule over the South African selection and get our thoughts in terms of our hopes and aspirations uh, for the November series from an Ireland perspective. Liam, we'll start off in Tolman Park. I know you were there on Saturday night. I suppose, what's your overriding feelings on that 15-14 win by Ulster? Yeah, um, I suppose, look, the overall feeling is that really, not so yeah, so near and yet so far, really, you know, it was kind of nerve frustrating night where we, you know, we lost by a point, but I suppose, look, again, it was as much Ulster didn't kick on in that second half as us as us playing particularly well. You you got the, the kind of the dread every time that Ulster got a good line out down near our try line that they were going to just be able to maul over, you know. Um, and it was like only really good defending and real real good turnover work by the likes of Dogba and, and Hodnett that kind of kept us in the game there at times. So some good cameos there from the young players, but you know, some of the older players still, you know, haven't haven't been producing the goods. And uh I suppose look, we have to just get a win in some shape or form. We have to get over the line because that's that's the main thing from now on. We need to get wins pretty much for, for the rest of the season. Yeah, I'd agree with you there, Liam. I suppose we can start from the start. I mean Ulster came into the game pretty disrupted preparation by all accounts given the virus outbreak in South Africa probably minimal training in Ulster lead up to the game but they started exceedingly well here Liam and we know Ulster rugby they're attacking them all particularly five meters out ten meters out is such a dangerous weapon for them Ulster rugby or Munster rugby surely would have been warned the players would have been warned in terms of getting their defensive ball right but Again, giving easy field position away here, Liam, particularly in the first quarter, and Jordy Murphy and also Stewart in the third and thirteenth minute, getting two tries. It was just it looked very ominous at the start here, uh, Liam, particularly with our defensive ball being in sixes and sevens. I, you know, actually the first try, I, I, it was obviously against during a play. To be fair, I thought, I thought those first three minutes or so that you know we had the ball, we were attacking, we actually for once made a good start. To, to the game ourselves and then we find ourselves you know 5-0 down Ulster Ulster um, Maul try Jordy Murphy now of course Jordy Murphy wasn't actually supposed to start the game with Sean Riffa but he was ruled out and Murphy was probably one of the most influential players certainly in that first half he was he was the influential along with the, the hooker um, Stewart as well um, so yeah I mean look he got over and Doak missed there, but you know the way we got a penalty back in after about nine minutes with uh, Crowley. It was clearly Vermeulen was was holding on to our hooker Baron. So like at three five, it wasn't too bad. And even when Ulster, you know, got a, a try to get three ten, there was still 
nothing in it. It was only a, only a try because again it was another missed conversion. I thought Dogbo was 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 powerful. I really thought he was powerful. Um, in in the rock, I thought in turnovers, I thought in his carrying, he's just an absolute beast, like absolute beast. And we just need a few more guys like him, I suppose, at this stage, really. I think his composure is phenomenal for such a young lad. Uh, Liam, you know, he's been thrust into it. Um, really, no model role models around in this part of the season for him to kind of get tips and tricks off, really. He's been thrust in there into the starting 15, and to be perfectly honest, I suppose there's a good case for him to be starting, particularly the European games against Toulouse and Northampton, really, at the end of the year. He was, I thought, absolutely phenomenal. The leadership he showed for such a young man really does bode well for Munster rugby going forward. And as you say yourself, um, himself and John Hodnett were, you know, again, standing up. Alex Cadena, all the young players really standing up looking to basically provide a stand here uh, against an Ulster rugby uh, side that were pretty dominant. I mean, I suppose the frustrating part of that second try uh, for Ulster rugby was the series of penalties concessions here, uh, Liam. Frank Murphy had warned O'Connor in terms of being offside, not once, but twice. He had to basically ping. And then that sets up field position. We concede another penalty. And, I mean, Stewart had a very impressive game. I thought their line-out went exceedingly well, Ulster, particularly in that first half. Um, true for you, Nathan Doak. I think it was challenging conditions in Tolman Park, Liam. I suppose you'd agree with me there. Wind was kind of swirling a bit, 10 3. Um, again, it was kind of in the balance. I mean, Munster were trying to offload here a little bit. You could see a little bit of ingenuity here. Haley hitting the line, looking to um, pass the ball out. Barron had a few kind of notable um, carries as well. But again, that end pass, I suppose, not going to hand. Um, you know, but there was some promising signs there for Munster, particularly in that second quarter. Uh, yeah, there there was, yeah. But I mean, I mean, I I suppose look even at as I said, it was it was three ten, and what's frustrating is Baron Baron's throwing. You know, Munster had a line out miss there at a key moment, literally halfway through the first half, and then you know we had Crowley kicking the touch, um, and Munster getting a turnover ball. So it was kind of um, a bit frustrating there. I mean, we actually had a very good good attack there, I think it was on 25, 26 minutes, where we actually had Campbell out of tackle to Fekatoa, um, who passed left right to Daly. And that was that was that was quite an impressive attack that we got together. No, absolutely. You know, there were some encouraging signs there, but again, hit by a sucker punch just before half time again, uh Liam. Uh, James Hume finding space on the outside channel, um, exposing Patrick Campbell and also Jack Crowley defensively. His power getting over just on half time. Um, 15 3 at half time, three tries in the bag for Ulster Rugby. But I suppose it was a game of two halves. Ulster Rugby playing with that strong breeze in the first half, uh, Liam. It was complete role reversal. Ulster as an attacking force really didn't see much of in the second half. And Munster slowly but surely ebbing away at the lead, uh, thanks to um, Jack Rowley's boot. Yeah, they did. But like, just going back to, to the first half there, I mean, I mean, I have to to highlight Malachi Fekatoa. He was an absolute disaster. In it. Like, like basically the two tries that they got, the last two tries in, in the first half, were kind of down to him. The momentum he gave them, you know, he he was offside there for uh, one penalty. 
which was um, basically led to an Ulstrom all with, with, with McCann uh, driving over. And then we had the ridiculous thing where where not only did he, he knock on, but then, of course, he had the, the arm-to-head contact, which was a definite, definite yellow. Um, and, yeah, that, like, it basically gave them the last two or three minutes before halftime. Ulster ball for, for Hume to go over. And, sure, I mean, that was... That was almost the game up at that stage. It's good. It's a good job that you've brought up the Fekatoa and also for Mullen as well, because I felt so sorry for Frank Murphy, given the perspective here, an Irish interprovincial. Again, I don't know what the Irish referees and these Irish interprovincials, how, you know, their partiality and stuff, you know, it's always going to get challenged from a fan on a losing side here. But I mean, the Fekatoa hit, that's high. I think that's a red card all day long here, Liam. I think he can have absolutely no complaints. And on the back of the McCann, you know, just basically clearing out, you know, off his feet. I think you could see maybe a little bit of desperation in his play. You can see he's very over-anxious. He's looking to over-impress here, you know, thinking about what he's going to do with the ball before actually catching it and then knocking it on. I think confidence is a little bit of an issue here for Fekito at the moment, uh, certainly. Probably a night for him, you know, to forget in some respects. And then the Vermeulen incident as well with Jeremy Barron as well. My question here is what's the TMO in this fixture been doing? Because to me, there was an awful lot of flashpoint incidents here where the TMO was just was completely missing in action. So I think from both sides here, a bit of grievance, I would think, in terms of the fishing crew. And I don't think I'm criticising Frank Murphy here. I'm thinking like touch judges here and TMO here. I think Frank Murphy was kind of left a bit vulnerable on this fixture. Uh, given the performances of his other officiating crew members. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, I suppose, look, in partiality, you, you can certainly say that how how could you have an ex-Munster player referee in Munster in a fixture? This is this this also adds, I suppose, to the whole, you know, craziness of the URC referees and the quality and their impartiality. Um, South African referees, South Africa, you know, refereeing, games between a South Africa team and, a, and an Irish team seem to have happened all last season as well. But, um, yeah, look, I mean, I mean, Frank Murphy, I suppose in general, in terms of the um, Fekatoa thing, I think he was talking about mitigating circumstances, like Fekatoa was driving downwards, he was, he was trying to tackle downwards rather than upwards. But, yeah, I kind of agree with you. Look, he was very lucky there, Fekatoa, in the first, in the first instance. And yeah, I mean, I mean, look, definitely Vermeulen also definitely was like uh, very, very dubious, you know. Probably again, you'd you'd have to say should have been gone off as well. Exactly. I think there was kind of flashpoints. I think there's plenty of rivalry between these two camps, and I think there was an awful lot of off the ball stuff going on. I think there was tip tackles being highlighted here in social media on various accounts and this, that and the other. It's very hard to kind of keep track of it all. But I think there was a nice little spice to the fixture, really, uh, Liam, to be perfectly fair. But I think officiating crew wise, I think the video analysis would have probably been a very interesting kind of read, um, you know, this week. But I suppose going back to second half wise uh, here, Liam, um, 15-3 down at half time, Munster coming out. Now helped in no small measure, I think, by discipline issues here from Munster. Uh, particularly in that third quarter uh, with Jack Crowley slotting over penalties on the 47th and 53rd minute and also then the yellow card coming on 61 uh, for prevention of a quick tap and go for Munster as well but 
And I suppose Ulster fans might have a few opinions on that as well, given what went on uh, before that. Yeah, I suppose they could. But look, I mean, I mean, for for me, like, I mean, definitely that that um, first twenty minutes of the second half was 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 really excellent. You know, um, from Munster just just keeping the scoreboard ticking over, and really it was all Munster. You'd have to say at that stage, um, and then of course the was the key thing was. Zebo coming on and Ulster being down to 14 men. And I just felt that in that the last 20, I don't know, Ulster seemed to be a bit out in their feet, really. You know, they were happy to kind of absorb the pressure, but they maybe just didn't have it in them to to, to carry the ball and much more than that, really. And then, of course, you know, about five minutes after coming on, Zebo was, was hugely involved in Daly's try. And he, he was just the way he ran on the outside, almost the arc, and was 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 ingenious like you know he he totally created that try himself um and then it was on yeah a point then in it and it was absolutely on yeah no i mean <clears throat> i think it shouldn't have been simon zebo to provide that inspirational line break essentially but i suppose credit to jack crowley as well i know there was playing advantage but sucking in ulster defenders passing out to zebo zebo is just a majestic ball player in terms of his creativity and creating breaks and his loop pass out to Shane Daly was exquisite as well. So like Tone Park erupted there, uh, Liam, be fair to say. And uh, in fairness to Crowley, very unlucky with the conversion, you know, 14-15 at that stage, a uh, game very much in the melting pot, uh, essentially. Um, but uh, yeah, the last quarter was, in it. it was a strange sort of quarter, wasn't it? I mean, Munster with a few kind of half breaks deep in their own half really Ulster rugby as well particularly at the end where they could have kicked points over so they hit for the line um it was kind of strange really one I, I know Ulster rugby I think definitely the effects of the virus definitely kicked in at certain stages in that fourth quarter we really didn't see him much as an attacking force here uh blame from Ulster rugby and I mean, from a Muslim Road perspective, really not getting the kind of opportunities here or platform to really test Ulster significantly down the stretch. Yeah, I think I think Ulster kind of schooled us really in, in the last quarter. Like it was like almost if they were they were on empty, but we weren't good enough to exploit them, and they were happy enough, to, you know, just to kind of kind of fan out and just tackle and not not concede penalties. They were cle- they were clever enough that way. They weren't they weren't going to concede on any penalties and just give the ball to us. Really, I mean the last five minutes really it was all Ulster, you know. I mean, they got a penalty there in the last five minutes. Um they got a few a mall. They actually turned down a penalty kick at the post, which I thought was bonkers, to to kick for the corner. Um because, you know, I mean, when you're only a point ahead, um that's just that's just crazy when you when and the other team and your team can get up the field they can they can get a penalty and suddenly you're you're beaten so um but yeah um I suppose Vermeulen then was still key there in the very last day of the game where where he he um tackled uh well he actually turned got a turnover on Salanoa who was isolated even in, in the 77th minute Munster had a scrum but just we were never going to get within drop goal territory and that's that's what I was looking for actually in the last few minutes yeah and I think there was a bit of hope in the stadium that would actually materialise 
I know going back to Ulster rugby, I think you have to mention Rory Sutherland as well. Coming off the bench, you know, that bench impact player to come on and he provided two massive turnovers there for Ulster as well in that second half. You know, that is the quality of player coming in for Ulster rugby at the moment versus Munster who are injury stricken at the moment. We're really down 33 players just last weekend alone. Um, so from that perspective, Vermeulen became a very dominant figure, uh, particularly in the breakdown, particularly in that last five, six minutes. But I suppose you have to give kudos again here. Most rugby, a few of the young guys really turned up. You know, the likes of Keane Hurley acquitted himself very well uh, when he came on. Um, same with Evan O'Connell as well. I don't think you can really kind of, you know, complain in terms of the work rate here. It's just... Things are just not clicking at the moment. You know, if we can get a few more bodies back, a bit more experience, and maybe a bit more cohesiveness off the senior players here. As you say, said, Liam, at the outset of this podcast episode, we're just looking for a bit of luck here just to get a result, to get a bit of confidence flowing into the side. Because, you know, 14-15, you can argue here if Nathan Doak had his kicking boots on, would have been probably a forlorn task for Munster per se. But again, look at the scoreline, 14-15. The game was right in the melting pot. And given the injuries, given the personnel issues that Munster Rugby have had, uh, it's probably, um, it is kind of a you know a disappointing result. But again, it's the young guys, it's the development and the progression. But standards will have to improve significantly here, Liam, for that uh, W to actually become a reality. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it, that, that is a positive. It's almost as if they are forced to... Um, Start those young guys, and and you look at look at a dog boy in particular, is a a guy who you could argue in in terms of the European competition, it's like him in the second row and someone else, you know. That's 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 how it's went, and Hodnett is a live option, Crowley as well, um, I think Patterson even as a bench option from for scrum half is is certain up there as well, but I mean at the end of the day. It's another result which puts us further away from qualifying for Europe next season. And um, I suppose the only way we can look at it is that there's a month off now until the Connacht game. There'll be a lot of players able to come back from injury. And hopefully that will add to the, to the squad and that we can get a few game uh, games times managed better, I suppose. You know, there were some guys... Already, I'd say, have worked up quite a bit of minutes and we get combinations. I think I think the combinations are, are still quite weak, you know, front row and centre, even, you know, in, in the, the back three. So you, you kind of need combinations to be working correctly as well. Exactly. I fully agree with you there. I think front row wise, I think we'd highlighted this at the back end of last season with grave concerns in terms of maybe squad depth going in, particularly in the front row. And maybe that's been kind of proved a little bit in certain performances for Munster this season. But it was great to see John Ryan back in Tolman Park. I thought he put in a great shift um, in the side. So, again, Dermot Barron seems to be getting more game time as well. The likes of Nigel Scannell, the Jean Kleins... Jack O'Donoghue's have been getting extensive game minutes, particularly in that first four or five fixture block. And maybe there's an injury or two coming from that excessive workload, I would say. Um, Malachi Fikato is also, I think, the second most uh, player in Munster with most game minutes played as well. So I think from that perspective, it is um, management will have to reflect from Munster in terms of the game minutes that 
folks have been getting that workload that injury reasons here i think it's a it's going to be an interesting retrospective in that Munster rugby camp particularly this week i know they have the international friendly with south africa down in parker Kiev on november 10th maybe they use that to blood a few more young players into the side but again it's all aiming to november 26th isn't it Liam? uh with that interpro derby again at home to connacht rugby and that definitely is a must win here Liam. any other result other than a win here and you can write off the season in the urc Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. It's just it's 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 getting to that because otherwise, beyond that, the next three or four games after that, like it'll be hard to see us getting the victory. To be honest with you, you know, because after that, you're looking at what you're looking at: Stade Toulouse, you're looking at Leinster, Northampton. It's like, uh, yeah, it's not good, not good at all. So, um. But going back to John Ryan, I, I I thought Munster actually were very comfortable in the scrum. I have to say, like, you know what I mean? All that's been made about about the, the Ulster scrum. Yeah, I mean, he's there, so he, that, that at least he can lock in that scrum in the in in the big games to come, you know. Maybe use him sparingly in a, in a sense, um, in, in terms of not play him every game, but play him in three or four of the crucial games. And then, then give him a well-deserved rest for a month or two after that, you know. So that's that's him. But in terms of uh, Connacht game, you know, Connacht to me, they're getting a break now. But it, it's like they Connacht have all the momentum at the moment. They have the combinations are playing well. They're ten, they're twelve, they're back row. They they really do have a, a, a an excellent back three. So when you have the likes of Porch and when you're going to add Mac Hansen and all, yeah, so they, they, they have something to build on, unlike Munster, it has to be said at the moment, even though they've only got one extra win compared to us. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think to be perfectly fair, um, Liam, it is going to be kind of an interesting kind of next few weeks. How many bodies can get back to full fitness here for Munster, particularly in that pack. I mean, they, they secured Kieran McDonald Siran as well. We haven't even talked about him. The new loan signing here. He's a second row, back row, coming from Wasps. Played an awful lot of his rugby in Glasgow Warriors and around Glasgow clubs and an amateur basis. I mean, a big unit here. He's signed up for a three-month period. So I think the key is to get bodies back here, Liam. And... Let's see where we are on November 26th, but I, I do agree with you here. Like Connacht coming in on the back of the 22-19 win at Liberty Stadium against the Ospreys. Now, Andy Friend's post-game comments left no one in the room uh, um, in terms of what his feelings of the performance was. He was very disappointed in certain aspects. The fact that they were 12-0 down after 10 minutes here. Because uh, we had mentioned it, that this was a banana skin fixture because Ospreys have a magnificent record against Connacht in recent seasons. And it looked like that after 10 minutes after tries from Sutton and also Morgan Williams uh, getting Ospreys into a great start. But I suppose, Liam, looking at the Connacht performance, the positives you can gain is maybe last season they would have maybe dropped that game. Their resilience was a massive factor in this game, I thought, and three tries uh, scored. And Jack Carty being superb as well. Um, all in all, I think they deserved the result overall. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they, they, I suppose, look, it, it got to the stage where they were 22-10 up and they were looking for the bonus try. 
And I suppose, look, they, they kind of let the Ospreys get back into it. But yeah, I mean, look, it's uh, they got some some smashing tries from Wooten, uh, Blade and Porch. You'd have to say they, 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 the back row as well, I thought were on point as well. So you'd have to say Connacht, they're, they're, they're motoring. And as I said, it, it's kind of like they, if they had another week or two of fixtures as well, they probably would add another another victory or two, which is which is needed. Yeah, and add to that, they had a difficult South African tour as well. They had some moments, uh, particularly down, um, particularly playing the Stormers. But again, they have the South African tour done, so now they can start focusing in on the domestic schedule per se. So, I mean, they've hit a good run of form. Now, granted, now momentum has been halted a little bit due to the international break. And again, I think Andy Friend is under no illusions going out to Tolman Park. It's a fierce rivalry now between Connacht and Munster Rugby. And the fact that Munster Rugby are smarting from two wins out of seven, unacceptable for the ball club. Connacht Rugby will be expecting a massive response from Munster Rugby. So that's all set up for a massive, massive contest on November 26th here, Liam. I mean, um, even for Connacht, you know, to be kind of in that chasing pack, they really need to secure full points against Munster and Tolman Park. So an awful lot of, you know, an awful lot of hopes and dreams for the URC hanging on that game for both teams. Yeah, and I mean, like, you'd, you'd question, will, will hopefully some of our key guys will be back. I'd be thinking particularly Ty Byrne for that game, uh, you know, along with obviously the, the guys who are out injured. Because, yeah, I mean, they're, they're going to be uh, some team, you know, I mean, I mean to be honest, even last season, we we were lucky, extremely lucky to beat Connacht. We probably didn't deserve to win a home, a home game against them last season as well. So... At this, at this point, you'd nearly say Connacht will have a slight edge going to Tolman Park. So, yeah, let, let's, let's hope that we have oh, a full deck to pick from. Yeah, because, I mean, the performance from Connacht after minute 10, I thought, was pretty impressive. I mean, I thought pack-wise, they dominated the breakdown. Very impressive there. Darrell Butler, 100 cap for Connacht, very much led the line superbly well. Again, there was massive games there from Gavin Thornbury. Again, the tries were so well worked here, Liam, and I suppose that's been the hallmark of Connacht down through the years, the identification of space, their ability to create line breaks has always been there. They play a lovely, fast, expansive style of rugby. I mean, Watton scores, Blade, that was a superb try. John Porter, I thought, was absolutely sensational here, Liam, during the game, both attacking with ball in hand, but his defensive work, and particularly his clear exit strategy, were just phenomenal. Some massive touch finders there, particularly in the third quarter, to keep um, Ospreys at bay. So, and Jack Carty, I know we've been a little bit critical about him um, off the tee, but again, comes up with seven points and a superb drop goal there to make it 22-12. Now, granted, Parry gets to try late, makes it a little bit interesting, but I didn't feel at any stage here that Connacht were going to surrender that lead late um, to the Ospreys. Yeah, I mean, look, Connacht the, the last few minutes, you know, at least they, the, the thing is they own the ball. They um, they just they just held on to it. They they just yeah they they were they they saw the game out, which is something that you'd have to say in in the past. Connacht definitely. How many times have they blown leads in the the final few minutes of the game and lost games? So now they're actually winning them, and that's that's the crucial thing about it. 
Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that was a key result for Connacht. And I know Andy Friend was very critical in terms of performance, but as we said in the outset here, that's a game that they would have typically have lost coming in with good momentum, would have basically had the the skids put under them by Ospreys and Ospreys has said having a good record. But I think that's a good win. Sets them up well. They're currently in twelfth place, uh Connacht with thirteen points. They're only two points behind uh Sharks in eighth at the moment. Now, I do see, you know, Munster fan forums as well saying, look, don't, no need to hit the panic button just yet in the URC. But let's be brutally honest about this, uh, Liam, you know, festive period. But even before then, we have Connacht on November 26th. We have Edinburgh away, who got a marquee result away to Cardiff Rugby, who have been flying very high as well in the Arms Park. So then you have Leinster at home on St. Stephen's Day, and then you have uh, the away fixture to Ulster Rugby in Kingspan. So, I mean, there are no easy games here for Munster to get on that winning run of form, really. So I think for Munster fans, you know, I think we have to be kind of realistic here. I mean, you know, I'd be quite happy here if we go 50% on those next four fixtures. And again, there may be gaps opening up a little bit more in terms of top eight with everyone else. So I think people have to be pretty realistic here for Munster in terms of how the season may unfold? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I mean, look, when you think after seven games in a season that we can effectively say we're not going to be top four and we've very little chance of being top eight, that's, that's that you know, that's... Now, I know, I mean, the South African teams came on last season strongly as well in, in the, the next uh, third of fixtures onwards, but, like, the thing is, for us... We have had almost bankers than any other season we would have picked up. We'd have been probably at least five from seven at this stage. That hasn't happened. Then the other difficult fixtures have to be negotiated. And uh, we have to start like picking up away wins in as you said, places like the Kingspan. So it makes it doubly difficult. Exactly. Edinburgh's home form tradition has been very good as well. So, look, I think most of a few weeks... All I would ask is for them to focus on performance and get, as you say, cohesive units uh, together, starting from November 10th, particularly in that South African representational side in Parque Kiev, building a bit of momentum, building a bit of confidence. That November 26th game is be-all, end-all, forget to lose, forget Northampton. The Connacht Rugby game in November 26th is season-defining here for Munster Rugby because it will really set direction in terms of recruitment, and in terms of everything else for next season. So I think it's a massive game. And I, I think maybe, Mark, what, what they should do now is, again, I, I think they've done enough training, you know. I think the South Africa game, in a funny way, is going to be a very good bonding week. I think I think it could be a good, good bonding week. I think there could be, maybe even after the, 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 the that, there could be a few days on the beer <laughs> after the South Africa game. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that because something has to kind of, you know, change the culture in the next few weeks at Munster. Yeah, it's just maybe the break as well, trying to get away from it. As you say, a few team bonding, weekend sessions, stuff like that. Groups of players kind of getting together, just even thinking outside of rugby, just trying to clear the head psychologically because it, it feels right now that maybe a little bit of siege mentality has gone into Munster rugby a little bit in terms of these performances and chasing performances here. So I think that'll be a key. I think that November 10th international that friendly match. Maybe it's coming at a nice time here. I think the style of rugby that will be played, hopefully the weather will be decent down at Parky Keeve, to allow the team to kind of develop and really throw the shackles off a little bit in terms of it's not really domestic league action per se. 
that they can express themselves and really kind of put in a performance and build a confidence. So, yeah, certainly anything <laughs> anything is worth trying at this stage, uh, Liam, from a Munster Rugby perspective. I suppose we can go to the Scarlet's uh, Leinster Rugby now. Jeez, we were talking about Munster Rugby and... Um, if you're kind of an old school fan like myself, when you see 13th Ospreys, 14th Munster, 15th Scarlets, I mean, teams that would have been perennially kind of contesting, particularly in the late 90s, early 2000s. I mean, Scarlets against Leinster Rugby, Leinster have gone 7 for 7. They're on 33 points, a magnificent haul. Again, it really showcased the squad, the selection, the confidence that Leo Cullen and management have in their core squad players. But my God, Liam, Scarlets are in serious trouble given the performance that they gave last Friday night. Yeah, t- t- when, when you, I mean, I mean, I suppose. Look, we've been kind of bad in a way, but like we we haven't really gotten hammered in any of the games we played. When you actually analyse it, you know, we've been there thereabouts. But that was an absolute hammering, thirty-five-five. Wow, like what can you say? Um, and again, that was pretty much the scars quite a strong team that they had out there you know guys like Patchell and guys like John Davies and Jones so it's 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 hard to know where the Scarlet's come from from here and they already look as if they're going to be bottom of the Welsh uh, regions that's for sure yeah I suppose to start stop hemorrhaging scores after a minute they did it with Murray in the sports ground in the previous round and Cosgrove after a minute great line break Great move from Leinster, really catching Scarlets pretty much cold again after a minute. But let's give kudos to Scarlets where it's deserved. I thought for the next 20, 25 minutes, they really gave as good as they got and really culminated in a superb try. And it really showcases the Scarlets when they get things right, particularly with Conbert, Davis and the Steph Evans try. I thought it was an exquisite move from Scarlets, really showcasing their skill set. And really putting the game into the melting pot, essentially. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, I mean, it, it, to be fair, it was a great flat pass there from Johnny Davies to Steph Evans, um, and Steph Evans is as good a, a finisher and a winger as there is in the whole competition. So yeah, I mean, that was, I suppose, look, that was the high, the high point of what they could, and it showed what they can do. But that was it. Like that was, they didn't score after that. Indeed, because Leinster asserted dominance straight after that Steph Evans try. And I mean, one guy who's impressed me an awful lot for Leinster this year, newcomer Russell in that back three. He's grown with every game. And again, a key try for Leinster straight after. Um, I suppose you have to give kudos here to John McKee as well, who also impressed, I thought, for me in his cameo, particularly in the front row. Um, kind of settles any nerves that Leinster had they go in 14-5 up the break but then afterwards uh, Liam it was virtually all one-way traffic here and again not helped in all small measure by Scarlet's increasing discipline problems the three Sinbins uh, during that second half and two penalty tries following after Clarkson's try early in the second half kind of broke the game wide open yeah I mean I mean that isn't that ultimately indiscipline you know to get three three yellows and two penalty tries is just yeah. I don't know, it's just it's just uh, infuriating for for the coaches to see that uh, and you can't come back from that but I mean at the end of the day Leinster you know Leinster's second string are are, are so good that they're they're 
they're still better than every other team, first team nearly, you know, in terms of the in the league. Yeah, I think from a to Scarlet's coaching review perspective, Jones, like the yellow card, like he's not, it's not as if he hasn't been warned, you know, he infringed on it, you know, moments before getting his sin bin. It's just infuriating penalties, really. And, you know, and then McNichols gets in pinned, you know, for a deliberate knock on. Now, in fairness, McNichols, good attempt. Like, if he's, if he catches that, he's up, up, and away. But, like, again, that sort of thing, Davis as well getting the the other card, but it's um it's just endemic. I think with Scarlets, we've seen it in the sports ground as well, particularly their defensive mall here, not really at it. Um, again, Connacht had an awful lot of success in the previous round, and there was in bins as well from Scarlets. So, I mean, I think that's a huge issue here. But um, yeah, it's it's kind of grave time for Scarlets, but as you say, Leinster rugby. I mean, they've negotiated uh the Parky Scarlets fixture so well. Again, the bonus point here, 33 points out of 35 here, Liam. In all effective purposes here, I think they're locked in as a top two seed at least anyway. Unless an injury pandemic hits the squad, I think they're kind of gone, gone and away uh, in terms of being one of those top two seeds going into the playoffs next year. Yeah, and I suppose, again, they, they can probably have the luxury, really, particularly from after Christmas, of mixing and matching players. Now, again... That came back to bite them in terms of Europe, you know, when you, when you had 52 odd players last season uh, and mixing and matching. And in the end, it cut them out in, at the highest, highest level, you know, in terms of competition wise. So it remains to be seen where that would be actually good for Leinster to be able to kind of um, go through the rest of the league season. It will be intriguing how Leo Cullen plays that because I think that was the Achilles heel last season that they were running big scores off an awful lot of teams, playing with guys that were literally fighting to get into that 23-man squad, particularly in Champions Cup games. So I think Leo Cullen was kind of caught in between in terms of did he put in all the marquee guys in or did he reward the guys in the fringes? And he kind of went half and half. And particularly when you think about the Bulls game and the playoffs last year, like, you know, that selection completely backfired on him. Uh, to a certain respect so I think lessons will have been learned particularly from Leinster Rugby particularly when they're facing those South African teams later on in the season so but look all in all it's been a phenomenal start of the season for Leinster Rugby you can see how they're game managing guys look we talk about it every week Jason Jenkins perfect case study they're managing his minutes absolutely beautifully at the moment in terms of not excessive workload here and you can see the the end results here. He's putting in monster performances for Leinster. That kind of missing link in that second row, that physicality in terms of his set-piece coordination and work rate. It's just a huge plus for Leinster kind of going into Champions Cup, essentially. And they're going to go deep into that as well, no doubt. Um, Liam, we're going through seven fixtures, block of seven. I know, conscious of the fact that Ulster have a game still to play and also the South African teams as well have a few games in hand, but suppose, who, apart from Leinster, who has really impressed you? And I suppose who hasn't? <laughs> and you can exclude Munster from that as well, um, from, you know, that first block of uh, fixtures. No, no, I, I, I will give an honourable mention to, to Edwin Adogbo. Like, seriously, play, when you play two games to that sort of level, you, you, you give him that. But yeah, look, um, what strikes me straight away is like someone like David Hawkshaw of Connacht, big time. Mm. 
has there been a better, you know, if you're picking a team of the season up to now as 12, he, he'd be there in the story, like, you know. Gavin Thornbury also has been absolutely massive as well. I've liked the two, the South African, the, the Lions back row, uh, Ruin Venter, the seven, and Frank Horn at eight. They seem to play like with the, like the old kind of flair of the, the French Magna and all these, all these Cecilon and all these guys like, Indeed. who could like literally, you know, run through a brick wall, but also had like amazing passing skills off either side, you know? Um, so I, I really enjoyed watching them. I'd say Keelan Blade as well for Connacht, scrum half again, serious, a serious talent. Um, Tom Stewart, the, the Ulster hooker. Um, I suppose there'll be big things expected of, of him in the future. Um, Scott Penny, Leinster. You know, I mean, I've always rated the guy, you know. <laughs> He's always been for me third or, or fourth kind of seven in, in the country by far and away, you know. Quality, quality player. And I like the the number eight there, Sione uh, Vailanu uh, at the Warriors. Real, real talent as well. Oh, massive talent. You know, I think those teams have been pretty prominent. Um, for me, a pleasing part of the league has been the Dragons. Dragons have rebranded again. But they're really one of the leading regions. I mean, it's great to see Cardiff Rugby up there. But I think the, one of the success stories of the Welsh regions this year has definitely been the Dragons. And amazing to say that statement after week one, after their absolute hiding against Edinburgh away first game out, how Dean Ryan and the squad have really galvanised into a cohesive force here. Three wins, four losses, been very competitive. They've had a marquee scalp of Munster Rugby, Ospreys here. So all in all, I think here is Zebri as well. Crowds are coming back to Rodney Parade at a rate of knots. So it's good to see JJ Hanrahan playing some good regular minutes here and hasn't been hasn't put a foot wrong uh, for the Dragons. I suppose it's great to see, you know, other teams really kind of contending here. Cardiff Rugby being one, we've been big fans of Cardiff Rugby. You know, when they get their act together in terms of a performance, they're very hard to stop. And the fact they're in top six at the moment, they're in a nice position. I think Di Young has done an incredible job there at Cardiff. But also seeing the Lions here, the Sharks, you know, the South African teams again are emerging, aren't they, Liam? They're very, they're even more competitive than they were in the debut season. So that's only going to lift standards in the league, ultimately. I think that's a good news story for the URC. I suppose, looking at the other side of the fence here, Ospreys, for me, have been a bit of a disappointment. You know, I think of this time last year when they had a marquee win against Munster Rugby, and I thought Toby Boo, at the head coach, and the Ospreys, that it was all being set up for the Ospreys, really this season to really build something, but really hasn't happened. Only one win, two draws, four losses. And I think they're in fear of being detached here. And I think quite a few of the teams in the next week or two, when we get back to URC action... Liam, I'm looking at the top eight right now, and no disrespect to any of them past nine or ten here, but there's a fear here that top eight could be gone by Christmas here. Just there's little gaps going to be emerging here, I think, if results don't go the way of teams in the bottom half of the ladder. Yeah, yeah. And and look, particularly, as you mentioned, like the the Ospreys, Scarlets and Munster. Yeah, absolutely. But at the moment, it's, it's still doable. It's still doable, like, you know. Two wins essentially will get you right up into the into the top eight. I suppose to negotiate this next chunk is where you're going to have you're going to have your two uh, European games 
and you're going to have your two domestic games and that that's that's quite crucial as well mm. and then of course you're going to have the same thing in 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 january as well so that's the yeah that's crucial crucial management yeah because like the top five currently have a bit of a gap uh to six seven and eight cardiff and six glasgow granted have a game in hand sharks have two games in hand over an awful lot of teams above them but it's just that sense you know that i know we're only seven games in 18 rounds here but I think for an awful lot of teams, it is kind of going to be do or die here, particularly in rounds eight and nine, particularly in the bottom half of the ladder here to really climb up the table. A little bit disappointed with Benetton as well, Liam. You know, they started the season with great guns. I think back to that opening win against Glasgow Warriors at home. Their home form has been phenomenal. Away from Benetton, they've just absolutely not turned up. And I think from an Italian rugby perspective, you know, Zebra as well, we need these Italian teams to really be contending a little bit. I'm just thinking of the Scottish Italian Shield here. Um, you know, from Edinburgh and Glasgow now are probably eyeing up kind of bonus point wins here, particularly when we get to the backside of, of next year, particularly when Six Nations is on. So I don't know, it's been a disappointing kind of last few games for the two Italian teams as well. But look, I I think it's all to play for anyway here, Liam. I think an awful lot of the top five are fully stacked. And uh, you know, Leinster out in front, but again, you're looking at the Stormers, you're looking at the Bulls, the Sharks, I think, geez, when they get all their guys back, they'll be racking up wins. I think the playoffs are going to be very exciting next year. Yeah, and, and Cardiff, again, I, I will we, I will keep coming back to Cardiff. I think Cardiff are the great big hope there for Welsh rugby. What could be, ultimately, could be another disastrous season for for maybe potentially even three of the teams, you know what I mean? As in not, 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 not getting anywhere near Europe. But Cardiff... You know, they had a significant win against the Stormers and, like, you know, a comprehensive win, even though it was six points in the end, it was quite comprehensive. They have all the big names. They have a, a really tremendous squad and have an excellent coach. So they're there to watch. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's the hope. I think tournament organisers are really maybe putting their hat on Cardiff Rugby to really get into the playoff mix here because conceivably here, Osprey, Scarlets look fairly detached at the moment maybe a bit harsh on ospreys they're currently on 13 points but certainly scarlet's look is in right bad shape at the moment so really hopefully from a welsh region perspective you've carried rugby and hopefully the emergence of dragons again you know these two domestic games kicking off here that they're somewhere in the playoff hunt come the start next year i think that'll be a massive achievement for dean ryan and his troops as well liam we might leave the urc and look at the november test match series South Africa have named their side uh, to face Ireland in the Aviva on Saturday. Uh, I know you're a great lover of South African rugby and the national team, but what are your immediate thoughts, reactions to this 23-man squad? It's a serious, isn't it? A serious team and a bench too. Oh, like, I mean, all power, all pace there. But for Ireland, there are shoots of optimism, I suppose, you know. Um, even before their team is selected, when you look when you look at the, at the South Africa team, in particular, I would say probably you know having Jesse Creed at thirteen instead of Am, who's who's out injured. I mean, you know, obviously Am is is one of the best in the world in his position, but Creel, yeah, from an offensive point of view, um, isn't quite up to that, that level. And I think more crucially is having Damien Willemse at ten. I think the guy has 
has an overall game where South Africa could be extremely dangerous, but I think his kicking game for like the likes of kicking conversions and penalties, that's an area where South Africa could fall down under his um, stewardship uh, at 10. Really excited to see how say Chesson could be at 15, you know, when he has like, you know, far more freedom than playing winger. So that's going, that's going to be intriguing too. And they have re- two really good uh, fetchers on the bench in terms of Dean Faree and Craig Smith as well. So, yeah, look, it's it's an excellent team, very few weaknesses, and it's really going to test Aaron to limit. Yeah, certainly. No, it's been, it's an impressive 23-man squad. I know our favourite from the Storm is Evan Roos, not in the matchday squad, but he is showing just the depth and and breadth of the squad here. And I think for South Africa, I think they're playing this well. I think they're really challenging Damien Williams to, to literally deliver against Ireland. To really, this is an audition tape for him to see for next year against a high-class opposition of Ireland. We'll hear the sound bites during the week in terms of how much the South African team respects Ireland. All the top-ranked team in the world kind of media sound bites. But this is a team, really, you can see from a front eight perspective, God, there's no weak point here at all. You have Etiman Ethabed, you have Diagar, Colisi, Dutrois. I mean, these are all absolute, you know, key names. And the one thing I want to see from Ireland here is the compet the competitiveness of this Ireland front eight against a physically abrasive unit like South Africa. They're well oiled, well drilled machine here. It's great to see Malcolm Marks in at Hooker as well. Uh Liam as well. It's going to be a good workout for Ireland. And I think from an Andy Farrell perspective, I know the team hasn't been announced, but I think we kind of know realms of who's going to be in there. I think from a perspective of Ireland and the World Cup, this may be the the key game for the November series, just to test themselves out against South Africa, particularly the physicality, particularly the game plan that South Africa will be going with. You know, there's going to be plenty of kicking going to be involved here and maybe the occasional kind of back three kind of explosive power. Like, you know, from a back three perspective, that's an exciting back three if they can get any quality front football here. So I think all in all here, Ireland, uh, they're going to get a good test against South Africa. And South Africa coming to Ireland after that absolute trouncing they got the last time they were in the Aviva. So they'll be eager to exact some revenge from that uh, outing. Yeah, and I can the, the, the key thing is that unlike other uh, seasons, when the November tests... It was like like it is still for the for for New Zealand and Australia. It used to be that South Africa it was end of year for them, but now yeah. the season is effectively aligned where the South African players are actually at the same level as the, as the Irish players. So that it's it's going to be even more of a test for Ireland. It's a real true barometer now of where we are as a team. No need excuse to say oh the South Africans have played. 14 tests this year and whatever and you know this their season is just over domestically that that can't be an, any sort of excuse whatsoever but in terms of I, I really want to see just how good or not the whole Porter Sheehan furlong is going to be scrummaging wise and of course also I do honestly believe that the scrum it's almost the front five so it's the, the two locks are as crucial as, as the front row. So whether Ian Henderson is surprisingly drafted in there, 
alongside Ryan. It's kind of it's 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 yeah it's it's something intriguing to see. And then do you go with kind of a um I suppose a more robust back row? Do you go with with Doris Van der Fleer and and Conan, or do you even try? I think it'd be intriguing to try someone like Gavin Coombs actually. Now is the Ireland tactic going to be moving around the South African front eight as well? You know, good quick ruck ball. If that is the case, then mobility maybe comes an issue here, and maybe a key selection point from the breakdown as well. So I can definitely see Doris getting game time. Van der Fleer obviously automatic lock. You know, the Jack Conan, the Gavin Coombs debate. You know, particularly if they want that expansive game, then Jack Conan probably fits the bill here a little bit more. But I'd love to see Gavin Coombs getting 25-30 minutes here, really testing himself out against the best of the best. And look at the operators that he's up against here, taking Cully C, Dutrois, and uh, Visa as well. You know, and guys coming off the bench here as well. So I, I think from that perspective, you know, it will be phenomenally interesting just to see how Ireland's game plan. They're going to look to run a, you know, the expansive game, Sexton being the fulcrum here. And literally, that quick ball is going to be key, particularly from the back row here, to secure it uh, for halfbacks to really do damage here. Um, I think it's going to be intriguing game of styles here. Uh, Liam. I, I genuinely do think that this is one of the, the hallmark fixtures. And granted that these two are going to be getting it on again in the World Cup, I think it'll be a nice little psychological marker for whoever wins here going into that uh, in France uh, next October. Yeah, and uh, another, I think, crucial literary player could be Jimsy Gibson-Park, who like, hasn't really played all season. I know it's, it's a huge ask to put him in, but I think he's um, delivery and his ability at the rock, like, it takes Ireland to another level in an attacking sense. And I think, to be honest, it would be, would be quite the poorer <laughs> whoever else, whether it's Casey or Marty in there, away from that and again particularly against South Africa he just offers something uh, different Um, and he almost invites the forwards on a lot more effectively yeah he's very much in the front foot isn't he sniper on the edges here he will keep defensive units honest in terms of that as well opening up space for Sexton as well I do completely agree with you there but this is where Craig Casey and definitely Murray I think we know what Murray, what he brings to the table. I think for Craig Casey in this November Test Match series, I think it's imperative for him to basically elevate the performances even further to really kind of consolidate because Luke McGrath, there has been calls for Luke McGrath to kind of get back into this international setup. He's had a very good interprovincial series so far. So I think for Craig Casey particularly, I think it's imperative for him to uh, really kind of stand up and be counted. Now, whether he gets game minutes here, remains to be seen but certainly against Fiji and Australia you would imagine he will get some minutes here particularly so but yeah I think Gibson Park he does offer an awful lot of front football but again he's only as good as the ball he's getting in the ruck uh, time here and you know that's after going to look to disrupt this look to slow it down and really look to kind of really kind of get physical here in terms of the, their line speed against Sexton particularly and ensuring that likes of Robbie Henshaw doesn't really get front football either so I think his battle with Delende will be fascinating as well. Uh, if Henshaw is selected, I think there are two powerful units. Um, like there's so many fascinating match matchups here uh, on Saturday. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm, I'm even thinking myself like, and you might not even think this is a matchup, but like <laughs> Malcolm Marks v. Ty Byrne. It could be no, like a potential Jesus, matchup, yeah. like at 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 um 
at every breakdown. I I think that's something I'm fiercely looking forward to, I'd say. You know, the evolution there. You know, you've Dan Sheehan there as well, you know, who <laughs> who's been known for a turnover or two as well. So, but like Malcolm Marx as well. Yeah, it's it's a good analogy, uh, Liam, to be honest. You know, the evolution of the hooker position, it's just Malcolm Marx and Dan Sheehan really kind of leading the way there in terms of that position. So, look, nothing soft is going to be given out on Saturday at 5.15 for sure. Um, really looking forward to that. I suppose hopes and aspirations wise for Ireland here for the autumn test series, uh, Liam, who are you looking to maybe get some game minutes here to really consolidate uh, Burton, the World Cup squad next year? Yeah, I suppose it's 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 the kind of it's the the, the positions we're, that we're still they're still looking for, isn't it? It's it's effectively Johnny Sexton or who's behind Johnny Sexton, and it's also the the prop positions as well. Um, so you, you'd be hoping that over the course of the three games that that's kind of put to bed because then you've effectively got the six nations after that. Um, and we're, 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 we're well into world cup territory at that stage. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'd, I'd certainly, I'd like to see in terms of, I'd like to see Joey Carberry and Frawley, Get get a game each, and I mean a full full game each after after the South Africa game, and obviously to get a good maybe ten fifteen minutes in the end part of the South Africa game. And in terms of the front row, I mean it's still kind of it seems to be Finley Beelam is down there as a tight end prop, um, and then in terms of. Loose head and potentially Kilcoyne is there, but it's 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 something that really has to be someone has to really put their hand up. I think Beelum, I think hopefully gets sufficient game time here, particularly against Australia, Fiji, even against uh, South Africa for that matter, because we really have to test out our prop depth charts here, uh, particularly with the likes of Furlong. You know, you've Keen Healy there, obviously. Uh, Porter, but I think the the rest of the depth chart really needs to be looked at. So maybe Fiji becomes that. Um, the other thing, I suppose, Stuart McCluskey kind of comes into the picture here a little bit, given the legal troubles of Chris Farrell unavailable. Uh, Bundy Akai is literally suspend, suspended for the Test Series. So he's probably looking on anxiously to see who might impress here. We know it'll be probably Henshaw and Farrell, or not Farrell, but uh, Ringrose, uh, for the first uh, Test against South Africa particularly against Fiji and also Australia, I think Stuart McCluskey has a great opportunity here to really cement his squad place, even from Six Nations, but also World Cup next year. He's such an abrasive ball carrier, destructive ball carrier, that um, I'd like to see him get significant game minutes. I suppose Balakon as well, from Ulster as well. Such a talented guy. He needs game minutes here and probably might get it against... uh, um, Fiji particularly and Australia again we're going to have to run the, the depth chart here because I know Lo- James Lowe being unavailable for selection due to injury I think we know the certain attributes of certain players here in the back three but it'd be good to see some prospects coming in and really impressing I do think as well Frawley needs to get game time we need to see him in the flesh in terms of being a proper 10 even against Australia because that Australian game at the back end will make or break a few of these Irish squad players' ambitions for the World Cup next year. So 
I think from a Karen Frawley perspective as well, that's another guy. Hopefully that will get some game minutes along with Joey Carberry. But um, some exciting games here, uh, Liam, even on tap for this weekend. I mean, uh, Scotland kind of on the back. Do we want to talk about Scotland? Uh, I mean, no Finn Russell last week and maybe came back to haunt him a little bit last week against Australia. No way should they have let Australia back into this game with 20 minutes left. But again, that lack of a quality test match kicker came back to haunt him ultimately at the end. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I mean, when, when you're, you know, a, a player Kinghorn, I actually rate him highly in terms of uh, his ability as a player. Um, Blair Kinghorn, you know, really good player, but he's hardly kicked the ball there for Edinburgh, you know, because Buffelli is 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 just kicking him from all angles. And ultimately, that comes back to bite you when you do pick a player at 10 who, who just doesn't kick for, for his club. But he had a super overall game, you know, and they, they got two, two smashing tries. It's just um, Scotland were going for four in a row against Australia and, you know, they really should have they, they really should have put it to bed. But, uh, yes, so so Scotland, I mean, they they still have a chance of getting a good a good victory this Saturday. Um, they just have to, to produce almost the same performance they did last day. Yeah, certainly. I think there was an awful lot of positives there for Scotland, particularly in that f- probably first 55 minutes, I would say. It was pretty good. Kinghorn's try, Smith had a try on 11 minutes. Um, the Kinghorn try was very well worked, you know, just showed the strengths of Kinghorn, particularly ball in hand. But it was just that last 20 minutes, uh, Liam, is really kind of where Gregor Townsend and the management really have to review because tackles did slip. And again, penalty concessions. It did seem as if Australia did gain the platform. Slipper, I thought, was pretty instrumental as well. I thought he had a very good all-round game. And uh, led by example. And Foley kicks a few conversions and penalties to get the game back in the melting pot. Uh, unfortunately, Kinghorn has that last-minute opportunity. But as I said, it shouldn't really have come to that. And yeah, I think against Fiji, that'll be a fascinating watch just to see what Fiji come with ahead of next week as well. Wales of New Zealand as well in the Principality Stadium on Saturday. Now, New Zealand started their tour with a 31 win over Japan. Again, was not really convincing. Sam Kane now sidelined with injury. So, Liam, do you feel that New Zealand are a little bit vulnerable heading into this one? I'm going to put a tenner on <laughs> Wales, 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 Wales to get the win. Yeah, I definitely am because I'm not sure what the stories are going to be in terms of Brody Retallick gotten sent off whether yeah. logically he shouldn't be available for this game either and as it Sam Kane got gone Dane Coles is, is out and then you have other players effectively coming coming in for their, their first international in the autumn you know kind of in from the cold so yeah I mean geez they're 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 definitely there to be gotten you know they just it's kind of I think even the the, the public in New Zealand are kind of are kind of a bit worried about this one because Wales, what they have is always guaranteed they have an excellent combative back row. They'll always produce that. They have um, really informed wingers. So, I mean, they have the game to, to, to take it to New Zealand, take them, take them to, the, to the wire. I, I totally agree with you there, Liam. You know, Wales, the cohesive units now cross, cross the pitch. I know Six Nations was disappointing from last season, but what they did do was identify an awful lot of young prospects 
Basham, guys like that really got significant game minutes. I suppose it's a case study for Munster Rugby as well. You know, you're bringing in these young guys, guys and, you know, the fruits of the labour should be seen in the following season. So I think from that respect from Wales, I think they're well-primed here. Uh, again, guys coming into form, you know, you see the likes of the Dragons contingent, you see the likes of the Cardiff Blues, guys are in top form at the moment. And again, the Welsh players, they elevate their performance when they get that national jersey on. So I think New Zealand are under no illusions here. I think Japan did show a few defensive vulnerabilities in New Zealand. And the fact that Broly Retallick is out, certainly, it's definitely going to be, it'll be an interesting call. It'll definitely go down to the wire. If Wales didn't have an opportunity to beat New Zealand, I think this is the one. This is the one time that they could actually do it. So I think that'll be a fascinating watch at 3.15 on Saturday. And also France-Australia instead of France. It'll be interesting to see what France do, how they've evolved. I know it's the first week of the November series here, but again, Australia have a good hard game under their belt from that Scottish win. It'll be interesting to see what France throw in terms of new looks, new combinations, that sort of thing on Saturday night at 8 o'clock. Absolutely, and uh, this is supposed to look the start of a, a big year for France. You know, they're going, they're going to be host. They're going to have all the pressure from now on on them. Yeah, I mean, they, they still have kind of question marks, I guess, in terms of ten, in terms of like fifteen. You know, so it's it's all to play for there. The Aussies now coming coming off the back of a of a of a victory against the Scots. I guess the, the pressure is off the the Australians really. Yeah, well, I think so too. Uh, I think it'll be a fascinating watch just to see how France, you know, also that school of thought that they may actually go with more of a structured team lineup here heading into that World Cup next year. It'll be a fascinating watch, I think. We're recording this before test match selections here at the start of the week, ladies and gentlemen. But I think that'll be a fascinating watch to see with France, how their selection evolves. You know, typically in the November series, they would have fluctuated the team and the squad quite significantly. I don't think that might be the case here. I think you're going to see a very good core of 30, 40 guys here that will be selected and this will be the squad that will form the backbone of their World Cup ambitions. But I think, as you say, Australia did show some good, good uh, moments, particularly against Scotland, particularly in the last 20. But they know that if they perform that, like that in Paris, they're not going to get anything out of it. So it'll be interesting to see if the likes of Nick White, Talia Tupu, guys like that will get game time certainly it was great to see Michael Hooper back um, as well so I think it's going to be that that'll be an interesting one because Australia like the expansive style France will try to throw it but maybe kind of target that front five of Australia as well uh, given the rugby championship uh, performances in the last few rounds so I suppose Liam can we get a few predictions off you for this weekend in Padua uh, we have Italy and Samoa who do you think is going to win that? That's 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 kind of intriguing in a way, you know what I mean? It's it's literally kind of a very much a toss of a coin between them there. I would actually go with Italy over Samoa. Yeah, I yeah. I, th- I think Samoa at the moment, I the way I feel is is potentially you know, um the likes of the Fijians and Tongans just that are a bit better than them. So I, I'm I'm going to go Italy. Italy will will, will win by six points maybe. Actually, there I think slight edge to Italy. Against them all, it's their first game of this November series, so we just don't know from a preparations perspective how things have gone here. But again, Italy really do have to show up and get a result here, kind of kickstart the campaign in the right way. I suppose Scotland, Fiji and Edinburgh in Murrayfield. Do we feel Scotland win here? 
traditionally the, the, against the likes of the Fijis and the Tongans, the Scots really put put a big scoreline up. So I think I think you're looking at a, a fifty pointer for for Scotland, as in they'll they'll score the fifty. So they, they're going to get a comfortable victory there. I think. I think Fiji hopefully come to the party here and really provide good phases of play. But I, I'm with you there, Scotland. I think by maybe twenty points there at least. But I think Fiji will have some eye-catching moments there in that game. Uh, Wales, New Zealand, a uh, uh, fancy kind of, from your perspective, maybe a Welsh win here, uh, Liam? Yeah, yeah. We, 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 if they're ever going to win, honestly, it's getting to that stage now for, for Wales against New Zealand. Yeah, it, it has to be at the weekend. I, 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 I think they'll just get over the line. I think it'll be, I give them five points, five point win for Wales. Yeah, I'm I'm torn on this one. Uh, I think this is going to be a very one, probably the closest one to call, because New Zealand having that game in Tokyo, uh, in Japan last week really will have battle hardened them, and probably some misconceptions in terms of their performance probably being laid bare. So I think we may see a bit of improved performance, but I think given the personnel issues, I'm just going to slightly edge it to Wales. I don't think it's going to be much here. I think two or three points maybe max. But again, it's a glorious opportunity for Wales to really get a, a long coveted win against New Zealand, just given the personnel issues that are in New Zealand at the moment. Uh, France, uh, Australia. Yeah, I think I think in the second half, um, France are going are going to power to victory. I think their 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 scrum scrummaging is going to definitely come into it. So I I, I think I give them maybe a, a twelve to fourteen points um, at the end of that game. Yeah, likewise. I think this will be a slow burner first 30 minutes. I think penalties will rule the roost, but I think ultimately bench impact. I think France's pack will be is better, and I think that will open up the field for Antimac, uh here to really kind of impress. I think by maybe 12:15. Uh, but again, Australia will show some good moments in Ireland, South Africa, uh, 5:30 in Dublin on Saturday. Uh, who are you going for here? Well, it's like this. It it, it does boil down to this, like. We have Johnny Sexton and they have Damien Willemse. So, I mean, you know, it is it, it almost is that simple at times. And so, like, I, I would have to go with Ireland. I'll go with us by uh, by six points. I think we have the out half. We obviously have a much uh, more settled uh, and, and, I suppose, quality centre combination there as well. I think that we're going to see the Irish back row really trench warfare against against South Africa and I think they're capable of doing that as well so that's that's why I'm I'm quite confident yeah likewise I think home field advantage here weather is not going to be brilliant in Dublin on Saturday from from what I'm gathering again South Africa going to bring the physicality it'll be great to see the test from an Ireland front eight perspective who's get selected how we front up but if we can get quick rock ball here and really test the fringes of South Africa, I think we're in with a great shout here, particularly with Sexton. I think Vilma said it's a massive game for him to really kind of look to see where his long-term South African aspirations are, to be perfectly fair. Again, he has the footballing talent, but again, he has to bring that all together in Test Match Rugby, and it's another level up from URC. So I think from Sexton's perspective, as long as he can get good, quick rock ball, I think from an Ireland perspective, they will look to move this very big, very physically aggressive South African team around the park. And I think gaps may open up in the last maybe 20, 30 minutes. I think about six, seven points in it. But I'm not, again, by no stretch of imagination, I think this will be left lovelyly set up for France in the World Cup in 2023. 
And then finally, Liam, Eddie Jones, maybe under a little bit of pressure here to get maybe a result in Twickenham against Argentina on Sunday at uh, 2.15. Who, who do you fancy in that one? Yeah, and again, I mean, I mean, really, Argentina, over the course of the uh, rugby championship, they, they acquitted themselves quite well at times, you know, getting that victory against the um, All Blacks and getting a very good victory initially against Australia. But then, you know, they, they came back, back on, on, the, on the back of some, some heavy defeats there. So England, it's a new era, literally, for them again. Um, I would take England, maybe I would go a 10-point victory for England. Interesting. I'd probably go against it. I think England are a massive, pre- massive pressure to deliver here. And I think Argentina, on their day, if their front five can get this right, and be so cohesive, I think they're going to cause England an awful lot of issues here. I'm going to be interested just to see the reaction of the Twickenham crowd here after 50-55 minutes if this game is in the melting pot. I don't think it's been a great year um, for England calendar year-wise. The direction under Eddie Jones is a little bit undefined and unclear at the moment. And if Argentina were to... I'm just thinking back to the Barbarians match as well here during the summer where they leaked a record score against the Babas. I think from that perspective, I think England supporters will be expecting a far more cohesive performance here. But Argentina are one of those teams that will, they've shown progression. They've beat New Zealand in New Zealand this season already. So I think from that perspective, I think Argentina have a great chance here. I wouldn't be all surprised if Argentina nicked this one three to five points. And really, the English media may intensify their pressure on Eddie Jones as a result here. Uh, I generally do. But yeah, I think an awful lot of great games on tap there for week two of the international series. Liam, we'll leave it there. That was a lengthy one. Uh, many thanks for your contributions. Enjoy uh, the matches over the weekend. And sure, next week might run the rule over Ireland v South Africa and see preview the opponents in week two for Ireland, which is Fiji, on the 12th. Many thanks, Liam. Have a great weekend. Yourself. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. If you liked what you heard in this podcast, why not subscribe to the Hawkeye Psychic podcast on either Amazon Spotify, YouTube or Twitter platforms. You can also follow me at Hawkeye Psychic on Facebook and Twitter for the latest sporting opinions, articles and reports.